Welcome to the Future of Consumer and Retail podcast by SAP. In this series, produced in partnership with NRF Retail Converge, we're offering event highlights from the five-day virtual conference. Our goal is to bring you a concise summary so you can keep a pulse on the leading retail trends. I'm Matt Gardner, joined by my colleagues Randy Evans, Profil Karanth, and Kara Reed, all of us part of SAP's retail advisory practice. Stay tuned for insights and takeaways from interviews with top executives from Bed Bath & Beyond, Kohl's, Sam's Club, Equifax, Ralph Lauren, and more. Kara, I believe you attended the Kohl's Transformation Session keynote. What did you learn in that interview? Yeah, it was a very interesting session with Michelle Gass, the CEO of Kohl's, and the transformation that they're making is amazing to me. And it tied back to one of the themes we heard on day one, which was that COVID didn't create new trends, it accelerated ones that had already been happening. Before COVID, they were looking at the trends of how people were dressing more comfortably and casually. They've been making sure that their stores represent who they want to be as a brand. They've been remodeling. They've brought down the inventory 20% since 2019. One of the examples was fine jewelry. They don't need to be everything to everyone. So they dropped their fine jewelry category. And that's actually where they're going to be putting the Sephora stores now that they have that great partnership with Sephora. They've dropped a number of private label brands that they had that didn't align to their current strategy. And they've brought some of their national brands, the Adidas and the Nikes to the forefront and to the center of their store. So they're right there when the customer walks in. Now you'll see when you go into their stores, they have a thoughtful edited and inspiring portfolio of brands. Yeah, Kara, when you talked about the assortment changing, that's a similar theme that I saw in the session with Bed Bath & Beyond CEO, Mark Triton. The average percentage of private labels in a retail store is about 25%, and Bed Bath is around 9%. So they are attracting more and more national brands. What Mark in his session also talked about is how do you get closer to their customers? How does it affect the inventory that's available? How do you use the kind of insight and data and get a 360 degree view of the logistics, be transparent and engaged and build the trust with the consumer? Like a lot of retailers, stores are becoming those hubs, creating those omni-channel services, buy online, pick up in store or curbside. In fact, that bad, they call it the omni-always channel hubs. You know, Prophel, that was also one of the points in the Sam's Club president and CEO, Catherine McClay's session. She spent a lot of time talking about their realization that this whole concept of omnichannel was the methodology that they needed to use to ensure that they stayed profitable in the midst of all of the transition that was going on in 2020. For example, the concept of the consumer taking over a role inside of the process that was relative to the merchant and the retailer themselves, Sam's Club, needing to take over the supply chain. That whole realization caused them to understand they had to be innovative. They had to change some of the way they looked at the business so that they could continue to offer great items at disruptive prices. And that's one of their mantras. So they've unleashed the innovation hounds, things like scan and go. They would have never considered that in that warehouse club environment, but now it's a big deal. It's all a part of their strategy because it creates efficiencies and it creates opportunities for the consumer to participate. Randy, I actually live right down the street from the Sam's Club Innovation Store. They took an old neighborhood market in Dallas. It's about a fourth of the size of a usual Sam's Club, five miles from the Sam's Club Innovation Office. 
they use this to test out new technology. That's where the scan and go came from. And they can have their engineers back and forth between the office and the store to do rapid innovation and making sure when they get feedback from the customer, they can incorporate it quickly. That doesn't surprise me, Kara, because they're pretty good at it. And it's a good view into how you actually pull this stuff up. You make it easy to innovate and you make it easy to understand what works and what doesn't. Another thing that was exceptional, they're keen to use the information that they're getting from their members to drive a better experience. An example she gave, because they have access to the members' data, they can tell that a member in the last five visits bought bananas and in this particular visit didn't have bananas. That's an invaluable data element that they can use to either find out, did he forget them? Or maybe there's a problem with the banana display, right? It could be that there's a quality issue. Access to that data creates the opportunity for them to provide a much more encompassing and effective experience for their membership. Randy, that's a great point. I heard two consistent themes as well. A session that I attended with the CIOs at Walgreens Boots Alliance and Ralph Lauren was around this concept of putting the customer experience in the middle of everything. You don't just come up with a project and do your business requirements, but you have to put the patient experience for Walgreens in the center of everything and then design the entire program around how you would improve or enhance that experience. If it doesn't, then it doesn't belong in that. We talked about data. There was another interesting quote from the CIO of Ralph Lauren. She said, the technology doesn't matter. It's what you get out of it and what you can act on it. I found those themes to be resonating, not just in this, but the other sessions as well. That's great, Prof. Lauren. I also got to attend the Amazon session and I was very keen to hear how they're looking at food retailing. It's a big piece of their strategy going forward. And they're the kings of home delivery. The biggest work effort is going to be around perishables, right? The ability to provide a safe, quality, perishable product, produce, meat, deli, bakery, seafood, to their consumer. They think there's education. There's also innovation around recipe management, innovation around quality. A large portion of online shoppers say the only impediment to doing a 100% is perishables, not being able to see the produce, touch it, not being able to, to look at the meat in the meat case and find just the right steak. That's a big deal. And they're working diligently to figure out how they can address some of those concerns so that they can have a bigger consumable market. It was a great session. You mentioned home delivery, a great session by a company called ShipIt that's actually owned by Target. They're executing home delivery for other retailers. And the one that was here in the session was at CBS. Different retailers have different SLAs for delivery. In the case of ShipIt and CVS, it's about two hours. Consumers are looking for that choice. They're looking for that speed. And if you give them a choice of when they want it, they're willing to pay for that. Yes, Prof, I'll totally agree. I really believe there's a gradient in what we're willing to pay depending on our needs. As an example, there was some new cookware I was keen to get before a weekend, and I used the order to try out Last Mile from DoorDash. And for $5, I got something Friday evening rather than the next Tuesday, or needing to go pick it up in store over the weekend. And Randy, on perishables, I struggle a bit with trusting selectors to pick produce. I notice in a lot of cases, they don't seem to be concerned with the quality I'm interested in from the produce department. A lot of companies that have made the selection process up to the meat manager, produce manager, seafood manager, if it's an online order, the meat manager picks the product, not the selector. 
oh, that's exciting to hear retailers are adapting like that. And profit to what you're saying about the last mile, it's almost like the meeting of these two ideals. You've got products that need to be fresh, chosen by someone who knows the category, and then you need the choice to have it show up in the exact way customers want. And it actually has me think if we back out and look at the non-perishable goods and the state of the circular economy, resources that are being reused in various ways, I think you said you attended the era of responsible retailing, and I was just curious if there were any highlights from that session you could share. Yeah, man. Two great companies, Arthrex Equipment and REI, and the focus on circular economy, sustainability. This reminds me of a quote I heard, retailers need to move from making profits sustainable to making sustainability profitable. A couple of interesting stats that I heard, over 50% of consumers plan to spend more money on resale than any other channel. Consumers are saying, we're getting more and more comfortable buying used products, whether it's apparel or even in some cases, appliances and furniture. There's a projection by 2029, that percentage of total retail is going to go from 7 to 17%. The other interesting thing that some retailers might look at, is there a form of cannibalization? And both retailers felt that you've got two distinct consumers. One channel will not cannibalize the other. Interesting to hear from two of these retailers. That's awesome, Profil. I had the opportunity to attend a session on sustainability and supply chain from T-Mobile and GNC. It was interesting to hear the T-Mobile guy talk about sustainability at T-Mobile has been a part of their culture for years. If you think about what do they sell, they sell phones and plans. He said they bring back over 9 million phones per year. They have to evaluate each phone. They have to decide if they're going to try to buff it up and resell it or to push it out to a third-party market or to tear it apart. It was apparent that they got it a long time ago, that sustainability equals profitability. The other thing that was interesting in that session was they asked them, give me some recommendations. And the GNC lead said, it's about people, process, and technology. You can ignore it if you want to, but at the end of the day, all three components have to be addressed. Otherwise, your opportunity for success diminishes. Yeah, Randy, that brings to mind one of the sessions I attended around the next big breach. And so this was with Equifax. There was this massive breach that happened, and it was exciting to hear what they've done since then and how they're shoring things up and what the best practices are. Equifax has invested $1.6 billion to uplift their tech stack and hired 600 security professionals just to bring everything forward and to ensure they are doing the best they can. He made the point that no company is immune to breaches and you have to be focused on being prepared. But some of the things that they put in place, one was employee security scorecards. And he said this wasn't a punitive measure, but instead it measures the security behavior across staff and vendors and highlights what people could do better in order to get the right behaviors that protect the company. Another big theme was that fundamentals have to be in place. And then after you have that foundation, it very much is customized to each business. So it's not a one size fits all. They talked about the fact that they did crisis exercises all the way up to the board level. And the key is to get the right people in the room and people need to clearly know their roles and then a clear list of the right external partners in the moment so that none of that is being done real time when something happens. 
I attended a session on phone phishing scams and they gave some great best practices as well. One of the things they talked about was these particular scams are often trying to target store managers or store employees, and they're often not large enough for local police to get involved in these isolated events. And so a bunch of different companies, including BF Corporation and Under Armour and PacSun and a few others, started a partnership where they began to compare notes and started seeing a lot of similarities. Because they determined this was a larger, more organized attack, they were actually able to get the FBI involved. And so there's a director from the FBI in the session who gives some great advice on best practices and also how to train your employees to be a great frontline defense against these types of scams. That's incredibly interesting, Kara. I know the concept and the processes in security, today's digital world are extremely more important than we thought about in the past. In fact, I attended a session titled Decreasing the Impact of Fraud Prevention on Good Customers. And I got to tell you, I hadn't even thought about this. There are some stats that are just mind-boggling. False declines accounted for $433 billion in lost revenue last year, which is 70% higher than the actual fraud itself. Lawsuits in this sector, $6.4 billion. So it just boggles my mind to think about that much revenue being declined erroneously. In fact, both of the folks on the call were talking about an insult rate. It was funny, but not funny, where they tried to figure out how bad that credit card decline insulted you so that you would abandon the company as a source for goods. It was a great session. If you have a chance to go back and listen to it, you should. Yeah, thanks, Randy. It's funny, we've just got one more session we wanted to touch on today, which is workforce mental health. And even just for us talking through these topics, Kara, I was wondering if you had any tips that you learned in that session. The pandemic was hard for people in so many different ways, but one of the things the leaders from MGEMI brought up was that in a workplace environment, before and after a meeting and in breaks, you have chit chat, you get to know people on a little bit of a more personal level, and you can use that to just find out how they're doing. But in the Zoom world, that doesn't happen as often. As soon as people get into that meeting, the meeting starts. And so she talked about how it's important to keep that chit chat going. And that is how leaders can keep an eye on the mental health of their employees and not in a creepy way, but making sure that they're checking in with them and noticing if things are off and if they feel comfortable asking them, are they okay? Or talking to someone else to ask them that they're close with if they're okay. And so it just gave some great ideas on as we continue to have this hybrid workforce where some people are in the office, some people aren't, how you can still check in and make sure that people are taking care of their mental health and taking care of themselves. Thanks, Kara. And Randy, I know this is the last episode of the event coverage series that you're going to be speaking on for NRF Converge. And so just wanted to check in with you. Any takeaways from the first three days of the event? Yes. First, the comment, digital is here to stay. Every session, at least once. So we're not going back, we're going forward. And digital is a big part of all the retail verticals. The second theme was people matter. It's intuitive, but as a result of the lockdown and the pandemic and the work from home, we all realized that it is people that make companies run. It's not technology and it's not processes, it's people. That was a key theme. And, and that taking care of people, putting people first, 
helping people to do their jobs, measuring job satisfaction is as important as it is measuring margin and profit. Thanks so much, Randy. And thanks all of you, Kara, Profel, and Randy for sharing your insights on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. It was another great day and I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow for day four. Yeah, thanks, Matt. This was enjoyable and I look forward to the day five sessions with you. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure. It was exciting to watch all this content and see what's going on out there. It was a great day. We've attended the top sessions from the NRF Retail Converge event, unpacking insights with top retail experts. And now we're looking forward to a number of sessions tomorrow with top executives from Macy's, Williams-Sonoma, Best Buy, Tractor Supply Company, Sally Beauty, Alibaba, Wayfair, Facebook, American Express, and more. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform to continue getting the latest retail insights and visit us at sap.com retail. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to sharing about day four tomorrow.